Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Why does Hanukkah matter to every Westerner? We're going to be talking about that on the show. Hi, everybody. You're listening to The Tamariano Show here at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. We are live if you're listening on Sunday afternoon, 4 to 5 p.m., holy time right here in the land of Israel, or if it's between 9 to 10 a.m. U.S. Eastern Time, on Sunday, that means that we are live. If you're listening to this at any other time, it means it's a replay and you cannot call into the show, but you can. You are invited right now, if you are listening live, to call in and weigh in on any of the topics that we're speaking about or ask a question about it. We are also going to be talking about FTX gave $1 billion to the Democrats. Also, Qatargate versus Amazing Trends. Also, Get this one, the military instead of police guarding the people. Also, present inflation is on the supply side and not on the demand side. Another topic, what is a reserve currency and what is a Vostro account? Don't tell anyone, I have no idea, but I'm going to find out after this, by the time the show is over. And Saudi Chinese meeting Biden's diplomatic disasters. And finally, of course, Hanukkah 5783. That's the year, the Hebrew year that we're living in. Why does Hanukkah matter to every Westerner? Our guest today is Dr. Mordechai Ben Menachem. He's a researcher, former lecturer at Ben Gurion University. He's authored over 80 books and 400. 90 books, sorry, I have to change that. 90 books and 400 research papers on science, history, and more. He commentates on Mideast and world issues. Welcome to the show, Dr. Mordechai Ben Menachem. I, thank you. Um, <clears throat> I, 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 I'm sorry to be a nudnik like that, but I keep on publishing new books. Oh, you're not a... <laughs> okay. <laughs> I should have more nerdy friends like you. It's amazing. You're an inspiration. All right. So let's start out. Uh, let's just go right at it. FTX gave $1 billion to the Democrats. Hmm. Okay. Apparently that number has now been confirmed. There's still so much noise being published about FTX and what it did or did not do, what it has done, what it has not done, etc. that nothing is absolutely clear yet. But apparently that number has been confirmed. But let's look at things, just take a step back and look at what actually we're talking about. Uh, SBF, this, this, this weirdo that, that formed this, this, this company, FTX, um, basically he paid protection money. But the protector failed to protect him. So what happens now? Is he going to um, <clears throat> spill the beans? and tell everybody what actually happened? Or is he going to be Epstein? We don't know. I didn't know that that became a verb, but yes, okay. Well, it's sort of a verb. I mean, you know, right. they, they, Epstein had no too much, knew too much, so he was simply... Taken out of the game. Suicided. Yeah, okay? right. <clears throat> and, and, and very heavy double quotation marks. Uh, so, how, how, you know, I, if I was a bookie, I would not be giving... Very good odds for SBF to have a long life of any kind. But okay, we'll see. He's now been arrested. We know that. He's still in the Bahamas. And the Bahamas are one of the targets that was paid a great deal of money. Um, at the beginning, it was said that they got a billion dollars. Now we don't know what they got. We just know that they did get something, whatever it was. Let's put all that aside, for instance, and, and for the moment, and, and look at what what we're actually talking about here. Okay, so this crypto exchange, exchange whatever that might be, it's it's a it's a kind of bank, basically, except it had no has no none of these crypto exchanges in this. Apparently, there are quite a few of them. This was the second largest. They have no um, control. There's no government oversight. Uh, not FTC, not FDIC, not SEC, et cetera, et cetera. 
What we do know is that the um, person in, in, in the U.S. Congress who was re responsible, so to, so to speak, was Maxine Waters, who was one of the recipients of major donations from them. So that, you know, that sort of smells bad. But what are we actually talking about? Has anybody, have most people read the contracts that they actually sign with banks? If you actually read what the banks say when you deposit money with them. Now, I haven't read them in every country, of course. I've read it in, in Israel and the United States and in Britain. And I might have read it in some other countries. I don't recall, that, to, be, to be absolutely frank. But basically, when you deposit money with a bank, you become a, uh, uh, um, uh, uh, um, uh, a creditor of the bank. The bank owes you money, but the money is no longer yours. In other words, the bank takes your money and lends it out and does all sorts of investments and things and this, that, and the other thing. And they have certain rules of how they can go about doing that and et cetera, et cetera. But basically, it's not all that different from what, what FTX did. Except FTX, they also put it in their own pockets, which is not quite the same thing. But in principle, there's not a vast difference. Now, um, if we look at the banks for a moment, just regular banks, and we've talked about banks in the past many times. Banks take your deposits, play with, with it as if the funds were theirs, which they are, according to contract. And no banker in 2008 was prosecuted, not a single one. They received bonuses for defrauding. However, hundreds of savings and loan executives went to jail. The difference was size. Savings and loan loans were small. Local banks, they had no protection. The big banks paid protection money. Now, full disclosure, I have to be fair here. I mean, we, you know, we want to be uh, uh, polite and etc. I was a member of the UN commission that examined the 2008 debacle. So uh, uh, one can perhaps presume that I, I know a little something about banking. And we'll come back to the issue of banking a little bit later when we talk about uh, Vastro accounts. But right now, we just need to be aware of what's going on here with FTX. Basically, FTX played as if it was a bank, but without any of the banking rules. There are rules for how banks steal your money and play with for themselves. There are rules that govern that. Right. They both steal your money. They both take it and do with it whatever they please with it. But the banks have actual do actually have some rules. They don't always abide by them, of course. That's how we came about. Um, Two thousand and eight came about. But the rules are there, and if you're big, you have to you 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 have to pay protection in order to make certain that when you fail to follow the rules, you're not prosecuted. Isn't okay. that nice? All right. If you're small and you and you don't have you can't pay the protection money, so. But who is the protection money paid to? The the the, um, uh, the, the basically the politicians in Washington. Well, what a congressman has a say over a bank? I don't understand. Well, it's much more complex than that, but indirectly, yes. The Congress appoints groups like the the uh, the SEC and the FDIC and blah blah blah, all of these uh, alphabet soup kinds of organizations, and uh, they they set them up and they appoint who the who who chairs these these various commissions and how they function, and the Congress determines at least strongly influences the rules that they that these organizations fix for the banks for the various types of financial institutions should crypto be considered a financial asset and be regulated like every other financialist asset i've been claiming that it should but again a lot of people disagree with me and uh, you know that i suppose that's a, that's a legitimate disagreement but well, they'd probably disagree right with you because that's the reason in the first place they're buying crypto is because they don't want the governments involved in their that's money. That's exactly the definition of the problem. Very well done. In other words, on the one hand, their reason for existence is because they're not regulated. On the other hand, if they're not regulated, then why, are, why is Sam Bankman-Fried in jail? 
Did he actually break any laws? It's not clear. If he did break a law, in what venue? Are there any laws that actually determine what he can and cannot do? Remember, this. everybody compares him to Madoff, but Madoff did it in New York. There are clear laws in New York. There are no laws on international thingies like this. So, so it's what really laws a gamble. did he break? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Okay. Did he break the law by being a slob? That's, you know, that there might be a law against being a slob. I don't know. <laughs> okay. All right, so keep going. Okay, so that, that's enough on FTX. I mean, I, I imagine that a lot of our listeners are sort of being, are sort of fed up with hearing about FTX. It's sort of, it's sort of disgusting. The whole so we just have to watch now and see what happens to him if he commits suicide, quote unquote, double quote unquote, as you, you said, uh, or something else happens here. Well, it's a little bit more complex with him because apparently his whole family is involved and his parents are both professors of law at Stanford. Again, whatever that might mean in reality, I don't know. His brother works for the Congress for Maxine Waters. I don't know what that really means. But yeah, that pretty much what you said. Yeah. All right. Okay. So uh, we're going to be talking about a, a lot of other subjects, but we're going to a break now. But let me just read them out. When we get back, we're going to be speaking about Qatar Gate versus Amazing Trends. And the military, instead of police guarding the people, well, I think we're already starting to see some of that happen uh, in, exactly. in the well, States. And, the uh, but this is happening in lots of other countries, by the way, already, and for years and years. But uh, all this, when we get back, everybody, you're listening to the Tamar Yano Show here at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. We'll be right back after the break. back here at the Tamar Yonah Show on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. We are live if you're listening on Sunday afternoon between 4 to 5 p.m. Holy Time right here in the land of Israel. We are speaking with Dr. Mordechai Ben-Menachem and our next topic, Qatargate versus Amazing Trends. Where would you like to start? Well, let's start with, I don't, do people understand the, the term Qatargate now? Is this uh, something that is reported in the news internationally? I'm not even certain. I don't know because, uh, I mean, I mean, the Americans don't know about a lot of things, even like uh, soccer or football. We say football, but they call it soccer. And that the Mondial, the World Mondial is going on now. I don't even know if they know about that, but go ahead. Okay. Well, Qatargate basically is a, 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 a big scandal in the European Union. The vice president of the, Union, of the European um, um Congress, is that what they call themselves? I forget what they, forget what they, they call themselves. The vice president of the European um, Assembly? legislative body, whatever it's yeah. called, um, it turns out had many, many suitcases full of cash sto- sto- stashed in all different places, including hotel rooms. And she was being paid by Qatar, by the government of Qatar, and she's now been arrested for graft. So there's a basic question here. We know that Qatar, of all of the um, significant Arab Muslim states, is the most anti-Israel of them all. Arab Muslim, nothing about um, um, Iran, of course, is the most anti-Israel of them all. So there's a question here. Does Qatar influence the European Union for anti-Israel and anti-Semitic activities? Or does the European Union... um, incite Qatar and the Palestinian Authority for anti-Semitism. Is anybody really surprised by this scandal and its phenomenal suitcases of cash and hotel rooms? Now, we know that the European Union is very active in funding um, every anti-Israel uh, uh, initiative that they, can, that they can dig up from under the stones in any place they can find it in in the in the um, so-called uh, Palestinian uh, uh, um, 
peopledom, whatever you want to call it. They keep on funding it when they have, they're going bankrupt, but they still spend tens and hundreds of, of millions of euros every year to foment um, anti-Israel activities around the world. Um, but now they're, they're sort of compromised themselves. So what does that actually mean? Well, let's look at the opposite side of this for a moment. And sort of just as a, a, a brief glance at a little bit of what Israel does for the rest of the world just about every day. An Israeli startup has just announced a new system, a flying fruit-picking robot. This is a flying robot that actually goes down the, 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 the rows of, of fruit trees and picks the fruit, selecting which ones are ripe and which ones are not yet ready to be picked. It actually makes the choice. Well, this is an enormous enhancement of, of efficiency um, in an industry that is wholly reliant today upon manual labor, and robots do not tire. You know, I used to have to get up at like 4 o'clock, 4.30 in the morning in order to go picking fruit off trees when I lived on kibbutz when I was 18 years old, 19 years old, I should say. Well, when you're 19 years old, you can get up at 4 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> okay, point, point taken. But uh, so, so continue. So, so Israel's always coming up with inventions and all sorts of things. Yeah, and, well, and, and, but, and your cell phones and your and your your computer chips and your we have 80 percent of our water in Israel today is desalinated water that we're drinking, you know, and this was a desert region that Israel was a desert before the Jews came back here after 2000 years. We've done amazing things and the world yawns. They don't care. Oh, they care. They, they, they're willing to take everything they can get. They're just not willing to give anything in return. OK, so. And so, so, I mean, it's, it's, this is just the, the contrast here is, is amazing. I mean, you you look on one hand, Qatar, which is is a country of nothing except a great de, great great amount of natural gas and oil, and there's nothing left there, nothing else, nothing else is there at all. By the way, Qatar, I don't know if people are aware of them. Qatar in Qatar, slavery is still legal and openly practiced. So any of the people that consider themselves I mean, it's now evidently in vogue in America for uh, a lot of different people to consider themselves descendants of slaves, which, of course, you and I are tomorrow, but I mean, that's besides the point. Um, and so cops are still practicing slavery, but they get away with all sorts of nice things. Okay, so we you've just, established that the world is a hypocrite. Okay, Tell let's us go something to a, we didn't a, a know. A little thing about the, this, this, this business of the military. U.S. Uh, stores now more and more are paying for heavily armed guards because there no longer is any law or order in any American city. City. I, I don't know of any city above hundred thousand people that has a tolerable crime rate. We see all the time on all the different news services, um, people walking into stores and simply taking what they want and going out. So these stores now have, not just stores, of course, uh, petrol stations as well, and also have heavily armed guards. guards. Are people aware of what the American taxpayer pays for policing today? They're paying $150 billion a year for policing. And it doesn't work. What were they paying before the uh, de defund the police uh, movement? Um, basically the same thing. I mean, the, 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 there hasn't really been any savings here on that. They, they're just, you know, they're just moving around, moving the funds around from one pocket to another. The, I, I, I did a study a few years ago on the um, uh, um, uh, budgets for uh, several major American cities in terms of uh, uh, policing and fire. So they, they sort of move some money from policing into the fire departments and things like that and rename things and stuff like that. But there, there hasn't really been any significant difference yet. Okay. So we, we, have to, we have to 
come to the conclusion that people should have come to this conclusion. Even when they started talking about defunding the police and when they see that these big cities that are run by Democratic mayors are uh, having crime done without any penalties, without proper law enforcement without uh, consequence. And so, of course, it's going to breed more crime and more crime until it's going to strangle and hurt the, the law-abiding citizens in that city. Well, it already is. It's already strangling them. They, you know, the, a, a lot of smaller companies have simply left the cities because they cannot function. Many have gone out of business because they cannot function. And many of the larger ones are just trying to find venues where they can function and abandoning venues where they cannot. So a lot of neighborhoods are um, really, really having problems now around the United States. I understand now also that a lot of the goods that are offered in stores are now behind locked cabinets where you have to ask an employee to open it for you in order to be able to purchase it, to put it in your shopping cart and purchase it because of these people, these criminals who would come in with their pillowcases or black trash bags or whatever they were and just start taking everything and then just leave. Yes, but if they, if they, if they basically um, uh, intimidate the, the, these these employees, the employee is not going to endanger his, own, his or her own life just for the, the, the key to a cabinet. Mm-hmm. All right. So and these, are not, these are not trivial in, in, in issues. These are very basic issues in terms of functioning society. But I'm going to make a different claim here. Okay. I'm going to say that I don't care what they spend on policing. Policing does not solve crime. You don't prevent crime by police. You don't prevent uh, intimidation by intimidation. You prevent intimidation, you prevent crime by a population that cares about itself and is educated to act like human beings and not like barbarians. Okay. J- Japan does spends much, much less on per person, per capita, on policing than does the United States and has Less than a tenth of the crime rate. Why is that? Their penalties? No. What? People are educated to be human beings, to act like, to act, to not act like barbarians. And why is that? Because usually you'll find that in more, in usually, I'm not saying all the time, but usually you'll find that in more religious societies where people have morals. And Japan doesn't seem to be a very uh, religious country. I, I mean, when I think of them, I don't think of fiercely religious people. And it's well, not Saudi Arabia where they cut your hands off if you steal. So what? What well, are you? Well, actually, Japan, J- Japanese are relatively religious. I, I don't know if their their definition of religiosity is, is similar to ours. I'm not that familiar with it, but the people are basically religiously moral or morally religious, whatever the proper phraseology is. So then, then very quickly, because we're going to a break in about 30 seconds. So what are they doing? What are they teaching their, you're saying they're teaching them how to be better human beings. How? Well, I mean, basically the same way as, as it's done here in Israel. You teach people that morality matters. You don't take what does not belong to you. What does not belong to you, you are not supposed to from the very beginning. It's not just a question of intimidation. If you take it, I will punish you. No, it's a question of you look at this thing that does not belong to me. If it does not belong to me, therefore, I do not desire it. It doesn't well, belong we'll to me. Well, we'll see. We'll see. I don't know. I would think that the punishment and consequences would stop it, whether you're religious or not. But we'll be right back, everybody. Don't go anywhere. We are back at the Tamar Yuna Show on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. And as I said, we are live if you're listening on Sunday afternoon between 4 to 5 p.m. Holy Time right here in the land of Israel or if it's between 9 to 10 a.m. U.S. Eastern Time on Sunday morning. Uh, we have joining us now Antonio uh, from Florida. Hi, Antonio. Where are, what did you want to comment on? Um, re- regarding the last comment to- topic, I think America is going through some is some changes because right now 
the wickedness is being rewarded for their behavior, and and, and individuals who are innocent or good or do do go go do gooders are being punished for that. And I think that society, politicians, and individuals, and perhaps education is the some of the key uh, components. That's why this is going on in America. In other countries, well, we essentially we don't know what's going on in other countries, but I do believe that one of the foundation is America decided to some most Americans decided to go and do what they want to do and take Hashem out of um the foundation of God forbid take God out of, of the this country. Mm-hmm. Right. But do you believe yeah, that even if a society right. is not religious they're not a God-fearing society per se. Wouldn't you say that if there were proper consequences for stealing, for committing a crime, that there would be less of a, a crime wave? Yes, I do believe, because the Ten Commandments uh, from the Torah is statutes pretty much all over the country, all over the world. So there's consequences for, you know, goodness and, and bad behaviors. All right, Mordecai, do you want to weigh in on what uh, Antonio is saying? Certainly, I'm not disagreeing with you, but I would say that um, uh, the, the, the basic intimidation of consequences is insufficient. That's short-term thinking. So that's good. There's nothing wrong with that, of course. That's good. We should. There should be consequences for bad behavior. But that will not really solve the problem. That will only put it off a little bit. And as soon as that um, uh, uh, yoke is slightly loosened, as we've seen now in the past two years, then it breaks out again. So intimidation by itself is insufficient. It's a short-term solution. But I think you're, you're right about that. But I think if, if individuals would um, vote into, into you know, politicians who are serious about making the law and making the laws as fair and even and balanced and, and, and put into um, effect uh, an effort to make those laws standards. If you do this and do that and you know it's not right, you know, this is a consequence regardless of what it is. Because when a person decides to go and drive a car, they know red means stop. So they cannot say, I don't know. If you, if someone go and, and hit a person, you know you're doing something, you know, wrong. You should be, there should be consequences there's no way a person can be ignorant at this time and this 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 the 21st century there's no way uh, absolutely correct i totally agree with you well the only difference between what we're saying what you're saying and what i'm saying is that while everything you're saying is necessary by itself it's insufficient because as soon as the yoke is loosened these things break out again yeah. so what you're saying is absolutely necessary. I totally agree. I just don't think it's sufficient. All right. Thank you for your call, Antonio. Much appreciated. All right. Our numbers are on the top of our homepage at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com if anybody wants to weigh in on the issues or ask a question. I just want to say here, Mordecai, that even if people know that they shouldn't be doing something, that they know what the law is and they know they shouldn't be doing it, there are some people who are raised with an attitude of might makes right, and those laws are for you and not for me, right? They're for thee and not for me, or however they say it. And uh, and you're a friar, you're a sucker, and and uh, might makes right. You know, you want to play by the rules, fine, but, uh, it, you know, I, I don't have to play the, by the rules. I'm not intimidated, and I won't be intimidated. And so, uh, and so they don't. At, because there's no consequence. Uh, absolutely. I completely agree. Okay. All right. Next topic, then. Let's go to the next topic. Okay. I want to talk very briefly about inflation and about the issue of um, how the um, the Federal Exchange, uh, what, what, uh, the Federal Reserve Bank in America and other equivalences of it around the world are acting right now. It's- okay, wait. Before you do that, did we cover already the military instead of police guarding the people was that what it was was that your yes, topic that, yes that's what we were talking about so it said that right now people are hiring heavily armed guards uh private security private security rather than the police taking care of things because the police are not taking care of things correct okay and that's when Antonio came in because he obviously okay he i thought you're it. talking about putting like you know army troops on the streets 
uh, to matter police. If they're, the if they're, you know, if they're in a government-issued uniform or if they're a, a private uniform, if you have somebody standing there at the entrance to your store with an AK-47 and, and you know, basically he's the intimidation for the moment, then, well, it doesn't, it's not police. It's, it's something else. Yeah, but it's, there's a difference between private security and, and the military. Not just with yeah. the weapons that they hold, but also who's behind it. You're talking about the federal government or you're talking about a private agency. Well, okay, it's a question of definition. I, I would consider military to be not necessarily federal, but it could military could be anybody who's a military trainee, um, somebody okay. who has been trained by the military and is now working privately to guard places. Okay, that's still military, even if he's no longer in the government employee. And that's sadly what it's it's coming to now that we see. All right, so present inflation I'm is more on and more in, in, all, in all various news services. Yes. Okay, so let's talk about inflation because it's really hit here in Israel now. We all of a sudden. There, it's really you go to the grocery store and you're really seeing a raise in the uh, rise in the prices, and uh, well in Israel it, it, it's it's gone up to five percent, which by American standards is still is still relatively low, but it's uh, it's unfortunate in any case, and it's and it's not necessary. I mean it can be prevented, but okay, let's talk about interest rates. Well, okay. We need to understand that the Fed's only tool right now, really. The only tool that they really use is the issue of interest rate. What does interest rate mean? For the past, basically past 20 years, money in the United States has been free. You took money and the interest rate was zero. You basically didn't have to pay for money that you took as a loan. And so people bought real estate. People bought um, um, uh, uh, also uh, automobiles and all sorts of uh, things like that. And basically it was easy and it was cheap. Because you didn't have to pay. Now, the interest rates have gone up. In, the Mar- in America now, it's at, if I'm not mistaken, 4.5% is, uh, is the interbank rate. Um, so people are starting to feel it. Um, and the government, the government itself is starting to feel it. And I mean, they, remember that the, every uh, uh, a point, of, uh, uh, a point rise in interest rate costs the U.S. taxpayer many, many billions of dollars just to service the phenomenal debt that America already has. But we have to remember that this, but the whole issue here in the, in the economy is not just a question of some sort of a, in, an imbalance, a temporary imbalance between interest rates and inflation rate. That's not really the way the economy works. And what we're seeing right now is gross underinvestment in commodities, which means that Commodities are scarce, and if they're scarce, then it goes up. Remember, this inflation, as we've said, and I've said several times in the past, is supply side, not demand side. Interest rate only addressed demand side. So it's a blunt instrument. There's an underinvestment in commodities. We will see this effect for at least a decade, even if it's solved immediately, and there's no there's no vision to solve it immediately right now. Um, there's a labor shortage. America now has a labor shortage of hundreds of thousands of people, basically because the, the generation called baby boomers are retiring. And the generation after them is much, much smaller. So there's a labor shortage in the United States and in all of the West. But they have robots. Growth. Sorry? They have robots now. And you hear people like this Yuval Noah, no, uh, Noah Yuval Harari, whatever his name is, talking about how there's useless people in the world. It's, it's, it's disgusting to say such a thing. Who is he to say who's useless and who's not? God put them on this earth. They obviously have value. But, you know, they're talking about we don't need, we don't need this manual labor anymore. We've got robots and we've got too many people in this world, et cetera, et cetera. Well, yes and no, but um, let's just look at the facts at the moment. You know, okay. the productivity growth has been very poor in most relevant sections. Even with the robots, most of these high-intensity sections don't really have robotic solutions yet. Okay. Um, everything is over-bureaucratic. The, the regulatory framework today is ho- horribly, horribly, horribly harsh. Very difficult to get anything done. Um What we need to understand, first of all, is almost every inflation cycle that we have seen in the past has had multiple peaks. 
So the fact that inflation is going down right now, apparently, went down from uh, uh, went down to about, about two percentage points over the past few months, and that's superb. That's very good. But we we do expect to see an additional peak. Every inflation cycle has multiple peaks. There is no reason to expect that this one will not. And just to give a a, 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 um, a, a poignant point to some of these things, the um, um, the U.S. administration, the Energy Department, has just funneled $10 million to a China green energy company, which is partnering with a Chinese oil company that received $1.7 billion from Hunter Biden in 2015. Now, personally, anyone can disagree with me if they like. I would consider that to be treason. But um, who am I? I don't, you know, I'm not, I'm not in America. I don't matter. Hmm. Um, everybody's talking about energy. Uh, Bill Gates backed a company called Terra Power, which is a an energy project, uh, a, a, a $4 billion nuclear energy project. It was meant to... Um, um, uh, uh, proceed in 2026. It's now been put off to 2028 because American sanctions on Russia and Russia is the only source in available today for enriched uranium. America, remember, America used to have uranium, but when Hillary Clinton was the Secretary of State, she sold it all to Russia. So America now has no uranium to supply their nuclear reactors. Hello. <laughs> okay. Uh, you, know, you know, actions do have consequences, even when they're made, even when the actions are by people who are not particularly pleasant. <clears throat> okay, let's go to a to a, a little bit of an obscure subject that people aren't aware of. I told you, I mentioned that we'll go back to banking a little bit later. So let's look at the idea of what is a reserve currency. And the, and the concept of a Vostro account. Okay, in first banking, explain what a Vostro account is for all of us. Okay, in banking, there are, um, there are the accounts that people, that clients, that human beings and corporations and organizations see. And there are certain types of accounts. There are several kinds. I'm not going to go into all of them. Uh, several, there are certain kinds of accounts which are purely for internal bank management. This is how banks manage themselves. One of these is called a Vostro account. There are other kinds as well. I'm not, I'm, we won't go into that. A Vostro account is basically a special kind of bank account, part of internal banking systems that's used to finance international trade using various predetermined currencies. Remember, currencies today are fiat currencies, which means that these are backed basically only by people's trust. So <clears throat> till now, for the last um, uh, 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 several decades, the most trusted currency in the world was the U.S. dollar. I would, right. I would guesstimate that that, that statement is probably still correct. It's probably the most trusted, but it's no longer the only trusted currency. Mm-hmm. So now, for instance, India has allocated Vostro accounts or permitted banks to allocate Vostro accounts in rupees. China has begun the process Indian of currency. Vostro accounts in yuan. Russia Chinese has currency. initiated Vostro accounts in rubles. Mm-hmm. This is a process going on for many countries around the world, particularly the BRICS countries, that the... the, the, the um, uh, the, the countries that are associated with that. It's now very significant that Saudi Arabia, and there are now rumors that also the UAE, the Emirates, are now going to be trading oil in currencies other than dollars. Remember, for many decades now, there was an agreement between Saudi Arabia and the United States that Saudi Arabia would only agree to sell oil in dollars. Right. That, of course, created a large demand for dollars, yes. and anybody who wanted to buy oil needed to first buy 
dollars. Yes. So that that's what caused the U.S. dollar to be the reserve currency of the world. It's not the only cause. Don't misunderstand me. But that was the principal cause. That was the strongest cause. Um, but that's no longer the case. The um, um, uh, uh, strength of the U.S. dollar because of all of these sanctions against uh, uh, against Russia and against other countries and basically overuse of financial sanctions by the American government, this is causing the American dollar to be weakened tremendously. To put this into numbers, Russia before the war had 600 tons of gold and now has 2,300 tons of gold. China had about 600 tons of gold. It now has between 2,000 and 2,300 tons of gold. An increase by a factor of four. In parallel, the United States has, re has reduced its gold reserves. Biden's sanctions, and this is a very important statement, are unprecedented in world history. No one knows how to predict their final effects. And you can't understand what's happening in the economics of the world if you don't understand the, the, the principles of how reserve currencies work and how they're working for the, or better, in, in principle, against the American taxpayer right now. Okay, so let's put this on a very basic level. What does this mean for the average Joe? Well, the average Joe has no control over Austral accounts. This is, this is stuff that's between the big, big banks and um, uh, uh, the, the American government. For instance, if you go into a local bank in the United States, uh, a bank that has a one or ten or something branches around the, uh, a specific set of towns or something like that, they can't finance international trade. They don't have the ability. They don't have the legal authority to do that. You can, you can work through them, and they will do it through one of the big banks like Wells Fargo or Bank of America or whatever. But they can't do it themselves. They're not legally allowed. They don't have the size to allow it. And that's where the Vostro accounts come in. You cannot open, in any country in the world that I'm aware of, a bank cannot open a Vostro account without specific permission from the central government, whatever government that may be. That's the way banking works around the world today. Okay. Now, we had a few, a little more stuff that we were going to go through, but the time is running short. So let's skip the last subject and go on to Hanukkah right now. Well, we have we have a little bit of time, but go ahead, whatever you want. Okay, let's let's go to Hanukkah. I mean, we need Hanukkah, <clears throat> the wonderful holiday. Yes, it's a it's really a very beautiful holiday, but unfortunately, most people don't really understand what it's all about. This is true. Right. Let, let's let's take it very basically. Right? First of all, everybody's aware. Okay, lighting candles. Uh, one starting with one, going up to eight, blah blah blah. All oh, that's very nice. Candles are very pretty. It's very, it's very, it's, it's a lot of fun. Some people have all sorts of special foods that they eat. Okay, nice stuff. Okay, but what's it all about? What are we talking about here? All right, let's go back to history. Okay, the well, history is, as everybody knows, Alexander the Great conquered the entire area of the Middle East. He conquered basically the area between what's present Greece through what's now called Afghanistan, which then was called Bactria. He ousted that, the Persian Empire. Yeah, go ahead. Well, the, the Persian Empire was just one milestone in the way. I mean, that, 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 the, my, the Persian Empire did not reach the, the Mediterranean Sea and did not reach India. So it's okay. It was just, but Israel was a vassal state of Persia at the time of Alexander the Great. And this is where the whole story of Shimon Tzadik, Simon the Just, uh, the Righteous, comes in and why Jews are named Alexander. But go ahead. I, I'm veering yeah, off okay. course. <clears throat> but, but, but that's not... Alexander conquered the entire Middle East. Alexander died at a very young age. And then his empire was broken up into five pieces. Basically, each one of his major... His chief generals mm -hmm. got a chunk of it. Right. And the chunk that was allocated to uh, uh, um, a guy by the name Antiochus, who was a close buddy of Alexander... He got the area that's presently called Syria, and that included most of Israel, and, that, and, and, and a bunch of other stuff, and 
We won't go into that level of detail, but okay. What's now called Syria, what's now called Lebanon, Israel, Jordan, uh, 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 Mesopotamia, that's basically what uh, uh, Antiochus got. The Antiochus I was a nice guy. You know, he went along with what with the, the basic principles that Alexander had drawn up. Alexander was very good with Jews. He had, you know, Jerusalem. He did not conquer Jerusalem. He did not harm any Jews on the way. He was, he was very, very good with us. No, no problem. Antiochus followed that, and so did his son Antiochus II, and so did his grandson Antiochus III, and then along came Antiochus IV who was kind of a schmuck. And Antiochus IV um, uh, uh, considered himself to be enormously powerful and smart, and, 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 and mostly he was a jerk. So what did he do? Well, he figured he could conquer more territory for himself and make him grandiose, make him bigger. So he decided to go west. <clears throat> and going west meant he went up against Rome. Now, Rome at the time was still a city-state. It was nothing. It was not an empire. It was not a... It was, it was basically a very tiny little place. But Antiochus Epiphanes, or the Antiochus IV, he was, aside from everything else, he was also pretty stupid. So he went up against Rome, and Rome beat the... <clears throat> out of him. And then they said, okay, uh, you, you, you attacked us for no reason. We did not provoke you. And they didn't. In this sense, Rome was probably the only time in its history when Rome was totally just in what they did. Um, they said, you attacked us for no reason. We did not provoke you. Um, pay us. Pay us reparations. And the reparations were very, very stiff. So he decided to um, find the money somehow. And that's when he attacked the Jews and tried to steal all the uh, the, the treasury that was stored in Jerusalem. That's the basic Hanukkah story. He attacked us, and then, um, as I said, he was kind of stupid. Um, and we rebelled, and we did not rebel under Alexander, we did not rebel under Antiochus the first, second, the third. We rebelled only when, they, when he came and attacked us, in, in actual fact, with both religious um, uh, injunctions, which were totally unjustified at the time, and also attacked us to try to steal all over all of the treasury from the Jerusalem. And so we beat him. Now, what does that actually mean in real terms? Now, that was unprecedented. That had never happened before. I mean, here's this little tiny people that basically had no polity of their own, and they managed, we managed, to organize ourselves quickly enough to beat a very major world power at the time. Um, basically, if we look at things as they stood at the time, looking at things from, as I said, taking a step back and looking at it from historical perspective, this is what made Rome. If Rome had lost in that war, there would never have been a Roman Empire. It would have been conquered. But because of Jewish help, Rome could rise. It, for the first time in its history, we had sufficient economic power to start its, to start its expansion. That's where Rome began. Rome began with Hanukkah. So without Jews and Hanukkah, there would have been no Rome. There would have been no Christianity. There would have been no Europe. Okay, so what's happening now? In, in, in the book called the Zohar, we see that there's a prediction there. The Zohar is a book written around the year 1150 um, of the present era. It means um, about uh, 300, uh, some uh, maybe 400 years after the, 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 the whole story of Hanukkah. And the book of the Zohar says, well, Rome is going to last for 2,000 years. And it's gone. What are we seeing today? Um, we're seeing a tectonic shift. Um, Britain, for the first time since the 7th century, is no longer a majority Christian nation. In France, 
there are 750 no-go zones. Um, we're seeing now that throughout Europe, the, the, the most basic um, rule in terms of the, how Europe governs itself was called the, the Treaty of Westphalia. It's collapsing. It's imploding. The very constant nation state as defined by, European, by Europeans is no longer functioning. I'm not saying this. Macron said it. Schultz said it. What's his face? That guy in Davos, uh, the, the, the World Economic Forum, he said it. Um, this is not a trivial thing. Europe is imploding. All of Europe. Christianity is imploding. I'm sorry if I'm insulting Christians. Well, maybe I'm not so sorry, but that's okay. I'm sorry if, uh, if, if this hurts people. I certainly don't want, want to hurt people, but the reality is that Christianity is imploding. There is no country in Europe today except Russia that is still a Christian country. Whether you're talking about Malmo in Sweden or Trapez in Rebol Not in even France, Italy? Germany. Sorry? Not even Italy? No. No. In every country throughout Europe, just about, um, there is no longer demographic, uh, uh, um, uh, 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 how do you say it, a positive demographic change, tr uh, trend. The only country in Europe that still has a positive demography is Ireland, which is pretty much a trivial country in terms of Europe as a whole. Not to be insulting to Irish, I happen to like the Irish people. Um, Christianity is a religion of the past. Except for Russia. Lord Carey, the former Archbishop of Canterbury, and I quote, Christianity is a generation away from extinction. Again, he said it. That's not me. Um, all of this is question of Hanukkah. Hanukkah basically is where <coughs> is the historical basis for Europe as a polity, as an entity. If you're not aware of what Hanukkah means, then basically you don't really understand where you came from. Speaking of Europeans and Christianity, of course. All right. Um, when you're done, I just want to comment. Okay, I'm done. You're done? <laughs> okay, because we, we need to end, but I just want to say, uh, I, I want to give my version <laughs> All right. What I've learned about Hanukkah as well. I mean, there's, you know, one of the wonderful things about Judaism is you can come to the same point from many different directions. And that's that's uh, really, really stimulating. But uh, Hanukkah is the holiday of the the victory of of uh, light over darkness. We had two major cultural views of the world, and that was Greece the Greek Empire, which is still so w much uh, influenced by uh, in our modern day life, you have the Greek culture embedded in the body. Everything is the body and physicality, and then you've got the Jewish uh, um, outlook and and value system of it is uh, it is God, spirituality, making things better in this world, and not worship of the body, not worship of gods. And you had. Uh, Greece was very powerful. They had they were an empire, and there were a lot of Jews, unfortunately, in Israel, in the land of Israel, who were very attracted towards this uh, very attractive culture where you you were got to have pleasure and you were doing sports, and they did them naked in those days. That's where the Olympics comes from, by the way, with with their sports. And even there are some Jewish uh, people who they became what, what's called Hellenists, and they even got what's called the reverse circumcision done to them because when they ran naked doing these sports with the Greeks, they didn't want to show that they had a circumcision. And it was a fight actually that started again also with these Hellenist Jews. You can might be today, it may be easier to understand it as like this, perhaps like the secular Jews today who reject God and they're, and they're just into uh, man and, and they're, they're, 
their value system, whatever it is. And they were prodding on Antiochus to stop and prevent Jews from being Torah observant Jews, where it came to a point where the Jewish people were not allowed to study Torah. They were not allowed to circumcise their children. They were not allowed to keep Shabbat. And it got to, a, and there was many other things that happened. I'm not going to go into it now because some of it's a little bit risque as well. And the Jews finally said, die, must speak, uh, enough. We uh, Ad Khan, until until here, we're not going to, we cannot stand this anymore. And they decided, that was the uh, Maccabees, w- rose up a small number of people against a world's power, and they won. But it was a bloody war. It was a long war. It wasn't so short, and boom, you had this light, uh, this oil that lasted for eight days. That was miraculous. That was just basically a symbol or a sign that this was really a, 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 uh, a historical event that had to be made into a holiday. It shows the, the, the miraculousness of it and the light of it. But this was a, a war of the first religious war in the sense of having religious freedom. Freedom to be able to worship God and not your body. Freedom to be able to be a Jew and not be stifled and not be prevented from being Jewish. And the small conquered the the large this was miraculous the light over darkness and it was it's an amazing holiday and i urge you all if you have uh the the time go and read rabbi meir kahana m-e-i-r-m-e-i-r meir kahana uh an article called down with hanukkah and if you can't find it write me tomorrow at israelnewstalkradio.com and I will send you a link to it. It is uh, a huge message for Jews today as they are celebrating the holiday of Hanukkah. Okay, do you want to weigh, uh, weigh in one last weigh in? Yeah, just briefly. Of course, yeah. everything that you said, I, I completely agree with, of course. Um, uh, everything you said is correct. But I'm, I'm just taking the longer-term view rather than the short-term view. Everything, everything you said is fine. It's, it's certainly correct. But what effect did it have in the world? You're talking about what, what effect it had on the Jew, on Jews, not what, not how it affected other peoples around the world. Well, if so it, we're just okay. That's the difference. All right, okay, we'll leave it at that. All right. Well, saying that, Doctor Mordechai Ben Menachem and Rabbi Doctor Mordechai Ben Menachem, I should say, I want to wish you a very joyous, happy, light filled uh, Hanukkah holiday. You should uh, have joy and. Uh, a wonderful eight days ahead. Tomorrow evening, a, a very, very close friends of mine, they have a, a, their second son is um, three years old tomorrow. So they're um, cutting his hair for the first time. And it's very nice that it happens at on Hanukkah. It's a, a lovely um, a custom. And um, uh, uh, so you're talking about enjoy it. enjoying it? Yes, yeah. I will enjoy it immensely. Wonderful. All right. Thank you so much. And thank you so much, everybody, for being with us as well. You've been listening to the Tamar Yana Show here at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Again, if you want to get an uh, uh, the, the article, you can write me, Tamar, T-A-M-A-R, at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. And we will, and, and I will have that uh, a link sent to you where you can read that article called Down with Hanukkah. It's a very apropos uh, article to read today, especially if you are... Uh, not Torah observant, and but, but this is like the only holiday or one of the only holidays that you actually celebrate because you're not so into Judaism. It's it's uh, very worthwhile for you to read. It's really a classic, by again by Rabbi Meir Kahana. All right, thank you everybody for being with us. Happy Hanukkah to all of you and to Dr. Mordechai. I should say Rabbi Dr. Mordechai Ben Menachem. Happy Hanukkah. Thank you very much. You too. Where can you get the inside news on Israel? At Israel News Talk Radio, we're dedicated to sharing Israel's inside story with the world by providing our listeners with news on Israeli politics, current affairs, and Israeli Jewish culture. 
The Israel News Talk Radio homepage also provides you, the listener, with useful information at your fingertips with scrolling news headlines, weather, currency exchange, Shabbat candle lighting times, and so much more. Our radio programming is always accessible and on demand. We operate absolutely free of charge for everyone, everywhere. If you love what we do, partner with us now by becoming an Israel News Talk Radio supporter. With your support, you'll be inscribed on our Israel News Talk Radio Wall of Fame. There's nothing like us in the world. Be part of something great. Israel News Talk Radio. Straight talk from Israel. Howdy, this is Rita from League City, Texas, now living in Israel. And though my heart may have belonged to Texas, it now belongs to Israel and all the fantastic show hosts at Israel News Talk Radio. Hi, this is Michael Solomon from Kiryat Arba, Israel. And why do I love listening to Israel News Talk Radio? Because I love listening to the interesting interviews they do and their news reporting that most other media sources don't cover. Hey, this is Nikolaiko from Malmo, Sweden. It gets pretty cold here in Sweden, so I love cuddling up with a warm cup of tea while I listen to Israel News Talk Radio. Hey, everybody, this is Frank Garris from Tennessee. Me and my dog Buster really love listening to Israel News Talk Radio. <laughs> You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. News, opinion, and more. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. 